Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King, and I'm your host today on uh, Calvary Live to take your questions and your prayer requests. Hey, I want to welcome our listeners on Grace FM all up and down the front range. It's really a privilege and honor to be able to be with you today, uh, to be able to share some time uh, over the radio waves. What a cool thing technology allows us to be able to do, to be able to talk with one another, to be able to uh, experience uh, the presence of the Lord together as we think about Him and pray to Him and study His Word together. Uh, I also want to thank, uh, or excuse me, welcome our listeners uh, that are on the East Coast, we have listeners on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Also, Truth FM in Tennessee, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Hey, if you are hearing this on Hope FM or Truth FM, then you're hearing the broadcast on a one-week delay. And uh, so uh, I just want to let you know that we are still here to take your calls, um, but uh, you're just going to be hearing this on a one-week delay. So uh, that gives you the added bonus of being able to listen again next week and hear yourself uh, on the radio. Hey again, my name is Cody King. I am the lead and founding pastor at Redemption Calvary. Uh, we're located in the beautiful city of Commerce City, which is a suburb of Denver. Uh, we're on 104th Avenue, about a mile east of Highway 2, and we've got two Sunday morning services. We have one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m., and I'd love to have you join us. Uh, if you'd like to get some directions to the church to find us, you'd want to listen to some messages or even get some more information about uh, the church, our website is redemptioncalvary.org. Uh, and you can check us out there and get all the information there. You can also uh, listen to our radio program. It's called Redemption Radio right here on Grace FM weeknights at 8 p.m. and uh, Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. During the week, that 8 p.m. slot, that's only going to be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, because on Wednesdays there's a, a live service that's broadcast. Hey, you can give me a call here in studio at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can also send in a text message at 720-336-0897. I'd love to be able to talk to you, to be able to uh, answer questions you may have about the Bible um, I'm just really passionate about the scriptures and about uh, making sure that we have a, a good understanding of what it is that God says and that we actually apply that to our lives in a way that honors Him uh, best and brings Him glory the most. Hey, something that I'm really interested in that's connected to this, the idea of teaching the Bible really well and doing a good job, it's something called the Expositors Collective. Uh, the Expositors Collective is a like a 24-hour, almost like an intensive seminar. It's a, a training weekend uh, that's set up over a Friday and a Saturday. And what, what we do is we get together in various cities across the United States and spend some time with young people who want to grow in Bible teaching. Uh, they want to learn uh, how to teach the Bible well um, in what we call an expository 
fashion. Really, the idea of expository is, uh, it comes from that same root word of exposing. And so the, the whole point of it, the whole thought behind it is to expose what the scriptures say. And the truth is that that's really the only way to faithfully teach the Bible. Uh, whether you're teaching through one word of the Bible, one sentence, a paragraph, an entire chapter, an entire book, the only faithful way to teach through the Bible is in an expository way. Why do I say that? It's kind of a bold statement when you say, well, the reason I say that is because the, the whole concept of expository preaching and teaching is that you are exposing what the Bible says, and this is uh, in opposition to or opposed to the idea of imposing my thoughts into the Bible. Really, I want to stand under subjection to the scriptures. I want to be submitted to the scriptures. And the only way I can do that is by saying what it says. And that's really the heart and uh, idea behind expository preaching and teaching. And that's what these, these expositors collective training weekends are all about. It's all about equipping and training a next generation of young preachers and teachers to be able to have the confidence to say, I'm doing this right. Uh, so the next Expositors Collective Training Weekend is going to be happening on September 20th and 21st in Howell, New Jersey. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time getting together, looking through the scriptures, and being able to be trained and equipped on how to, to do this the right way. Some of the things that you can think about in terms of what that looks like is we're going to be looking at the value of expository preaching, inductive Bible study, Christ-centered preaching, uh, sermon prep essentials, how do you outline a message, uh, homiletics, and uh, much more. So there's a whole lot going on there. Uh, I'd love to be able to see you there in Howell, New Jersey in September. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, we have uh, uh, a really great preacher and Bible teacher. I don't know if you know who they are, but uh, David Guzik, uh, one of my absolute favorites, is going to be there uh, sharing some thoughts and ideas about uh, his his desire for faithful Bible preaching and teaching. And so uh, I'd hope to see you there. Also, hey, so a thought I had as uh, I was thinking about today um, is something uh, that I read in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 11. We, we here at Redemption Calvary, we go through Bible studies together, and um, you know, not only on Sunday mornings, but we also do midweek Bible studies. We call them life groups where we get together, we eat, we share a meal, we pray together, and we go through the Bible. Uh, we were recently studying through 1 John, and something stood out to me in chapter 2 that I wanted to share with you. It says in verse 9, He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, kind of a, a really stark kind of a thing that, that John says here in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And it's essentially what he's saying is that declaring your love for God by saying that you love God, it's, it's a subjective thing that you can't really measure. I mean, anybody could say, I love God. Um, and so what he's saying is that you can't you can't necessarily tell if that's the truth. It may or may not actually be true. And the only real test, or not the only real test, but one of the major real tests of your love for God is clearly seen in your love for other Christians. That's what he's saying there in 1 John chapter 2. And, and this goes right along with what Jesus said in John 13, 
35, when Jesus said that all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And what he wasn't saying was just a general good feeling that you have for other people. What he was saying is that how my believers or my followers or my disciples, the way that they interact with and love other disciples, other believers, that that is going to be the number one um, billboard sign that we belong to Jesus. And so it's vitally important to say that, that I, you know, if I claim to be in the light and I say that I have fellowship with God and yet I, I hate other Christians, then I prove that I'm in darkness and not in the light. You see, it's the reality that fellowship with God is displayed through fellowship with other Christians. And this is why I really don't understand when people say things like, I love God, but I hate going to church. That doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know how people could say that uh, because those don't go together. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the one who instituted the entire concept of the church. And so when when people who claim to be in Christ and love God say things like, well, I just don't like other Christians, or I, I just have my relationship with God on my own, or I just like to go out in the woods or in the mountains, and that's how I worship God, uh, I say, there's something wrong with your relationship with God if that's the way that you're thinking. It's, it's, you're, you're walking in darkness, you're not walking in light. I got some other thoughts on that, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for later. Uh, we'll come back to that later on. Uh, right now, let's go to line one and Michael in Aurora with a question that, that he has. Michael, you're on Calvary Live. Hi. Um, hey, I actually hope to have a prayer request some other day, but today I'm asking for um, uh, some clarity about how when a non-believer says to you, well, judge not lest you be judged. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, how in the, how do you respond to that in a biblical manner? To Because I know there's something fallacious there, but where do we go? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think that, you know, really that's, that's one of those verses that is one of the only verses that non-believers know. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of them, and that's one of them. They say, you know, you can't judge me, you know, or they'll say something flippant like, well, only God can judge me, but they don't even really believe in God, you know. Um, it's really what, what that is, where that comes from is Matthew chapter 7. So let me turn there, and I'll, I'll read some of it, because Jesus actually says something the opposite of what they think he's saying. Um, it's, it's really, when you just look at it, like we were talking about at the top of the show, this idea of expository preaching and teaching, when you just look expositionally at what's being said in Matthew 7, you cannot get that thought. Because what they're saying when they say, uh, you know, don't judge me, or, or you know, only God can judge me, or, ju- you know, the Bible says don't judge, what they're saying is, I'm allowed to live in sin, and you can't tell me it's wrong. That's really what they're saying. And okay. the truth is that that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches throughout. Uh, now, there is a sense in which judging other people is wrong. Uh, and the, ju- the sense, in, and we'll get to, we'll, we'll see how Jesus, you know, really describes that for us. But essentially, the, the judgment that's wrong is by me measuring myself above other people, that I'm more valuable than them, that I'm better than them, or, or yeah. something like that. That's the kind of judgment that is condemned in the Bible. But the, there's another sense of judgment where we've got to decide if things are right and wrong, and we do that every single day. In fact, when people say, hey, you can't judge me, they are making a judgment about you in that statement. And so they're violating their own 
their own words as they speak them. Uh, so anyway, let me let me read for you uh, what it says here in Matthew chapter 7, uh, where we find this, and we'll break it down a little bit. There's six verses that Jesus uh, goes through in this thought, but he says in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. And usually that's where people stop. Just don't judge so you won't be judged. Well, Jesus actually has some more to say. Verse 2 says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? He says in verse 5, hypocrite, first, listen to this part, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the plank from your brother's eye, or the speck from your brother's eye. And then he says in verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So really what we have here is Jesus going through an entire teaching on this. And if you only read that, that first verse, then you can make up whatever you want in terms of what Jesus was meaning. But if you read the rest of the verses, you see that there is uh, uh, there are two kinds of judgment, judgment or judging that's going on here. The, the kind that he's condemning is the kind of judging that has to do with comparisons, that, that if I'm going to measure myself as higher or greater than you, then that's, that's not a, a, a righteous or godly kind of a, a judgment. And Jesus even says, if you do that, then you're going to set a standard for yourself by which you will be judged as well, that God makes sure that you don't necessarily get away with that. Um, but what he says there in verse 3, I think it's interesting that he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank that's in your own eye? There's this kind of crazy warped perspective. And Jesus gives us this image that you have, you know, in your eye, there's like a splinter. And in my eye, I've got a telephone pole and I'm thinking I'm going to help you. Um, you know, it's, it's like you, you take that and you, you just kind of extrapolate that into other areas of life. I mean, you, you don't take money advice from the guy who's in, loaded down with debt uh, and, uh, you know, is do, managing his money poorly. You know, uh, you, when you go to get a, a personal trainer at the gym, you want to get somebody who looks physically fit. They look like they know what they're talking about. That's kind of the idea. If you, if you don't have your own life together, you have no business trying to go meddle in other people's lives. Uh, that's, right. that's kind of the thought behind that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to the idea of verse five, where he says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eyes. So essentially what Jesus is doing is here, he's actually saying that there is a right kind of judgment that needs to, to happen here. And what this is, is it's the idea of discerning. And when I'm able to get my life right before the Lord and to be able to submit my heart to him and he fixes things in my life, then I can actually be used to help other people fix things in their lives. Um, and so really Jesus is, instead of calling us not to judge at all, he's actually calling us to righteous judgment instead of unrighteous judgment. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I didn't catch all of it. I, I, I'm curious, can I get back online and listen to this program again? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, archive all of them. Uh, you can go to uh, the uh, you, uh, YouTube, or excuse me, YouTube, uh, the iTunes store, uh, and download the podcast there. I believe it's on other devices as well. I see. Okay, okay. Um, one last question. Sure. Um, uh, could I make one quick prayer request as well? Absolutely, yeah. 
Okay, so um, I just pray that the Lord sanctify me through and through, um, that I walk in faith, and uh, that He delivers me from evil. For Thine mm. is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Yeah, I definitely would love to pray with you through that. You know, as you were saying that, it, it brings to mind one of my favorite verses. Uh, I don't know if people say this anymore. It used to be a big thing, uh, this idea of having a life verse or whatever. Uh, but this right. is this is what I would say mine is. And as you were saying that, it's something that I've uh, that the Lord brought to my attention, and, and I've been praying for myself, and it's what I'm going to pray for you as well. But it's uh, okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And it's actually a prayer, and uh, it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I just love the way that, that it says that there in First Thessalonians, that God's the one who brings this sanctification into my life, and he does it completely, and that yeah. all of me is set apart for him to be blameless, and that he's the one who, who does it. So let's pray. All right, thank all right. you. Thank Father, you. I just uh, want to come to you today with Michael, and thank you so much for his call and uh, just the chance to talk to him together today. And I pray that you would encourage him. I pray that you would bless him and that you would cause him to sense where it is that you are leading and directing him. And just like we are reading in in 1 Thessalonians 5, that you're the one who sanctifies us, that theological term for setting us apart. And, and God, as we think about that idea, we know that it has two implications to it, that you're taking us out of some things, you're setting us apart from some things, and you're also setting us apart to some other things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, even now, direct Michael's path to give him uh, conviction as to what things need to be abandoned, as to what other things need to be pursued, and that you would be glorified in his life, that he would be able to see you exalted and magnified, and that, God, as you have called him, we know that you're the one who's faithful. You're the one who, who purifies us. Uh, that, that Jesus, in Hebrews 12, we're told that you're the author and the finisher of our faith, and we believe it, mm. and we rest upon it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Craig. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome, Michael. God bless you. God bless you, too. All right. Bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King. I'm here in studio taking your calls, answering your questions. Uh, you can give me a call here in studio at 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or you can uh, text me at 0897. As of now, we have uh, open lines, so go ahead and uh, give me a call. It's a perfect time to sneak in a call. Sometimes they get really uh, busy and filled up, and it's difficult to get through, uh, but this is a perfect time to call if you've been uh, thinking about something or wondering about something. Hey, as I, th I think back on uh, what we were talking about in 1 John chapter 2, just this idea that in, in 1 John chapter 2, basically John is teaching us and telling us that if we say we have fellowship with God and our fellowship with other people is broken, then something's wrong with our relationship with God. That, that I can't say that I've got a good relationship with God and that my uh, relationship with other Christians is terrible and that things are okay. It's, it's not... It's just not the way things work. Essentially, if I if I do that, if I have that mentality, uh, then I am I'm fooling myself. Well, this 
one thought in this is this is not to say that you're never going to have a problem or disagreement with other Christians or that you've got to always agree with everybody on all points kind of a thing. That's not necessarily what that means. It also isn't saying that you have to like or agree with everything every other Christian says. So, so then the question is that, that comes in, what happens when I have this um, friction in my relationship? Or what, what happens if maybe I have a relationship with another believer that's broken? What do I do? Uh, the, the thing is that we, the, the whole thought of this is that we should do what we can to try to fix the relationship as best we can. Really, everything is about relationships. Think about anything you've done in your life, any experience you've had, anywhere you've gone, uh, anything that you've been able to do. Having a relationship or doing that thing with somebody else makes it all the better. I, I know for me, one of the things that my uh, wife and kids love to do is they love Disneyland. Uh, they love when we get to go there. They love to ride the rides. They like to meet the princesses. It's the whole experience, you know. That's what they're all about. And and uh, if you think about uh, me personally going to Disneyland, the thing that has value in going to Disneyland isn't the rides. It's not the uh, the churros, even though those are amazing. Uh, it's not even being in Southern California where you can get an In-N-Out burger. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's it's that uh, I'm there with my family. I mean. Me as a, a, a grown man wandering around Disneyland on my own, man, that is going to be a terrible experience. There's, there's no excitement or joy or pleasure in it whatsoever for me on my own. But when I've got them with me, man, it makes all the difference in the world. And, and so, you know, when I bring that into the idea of, of my Christianity, really the truth is that relationships are everything. So much so that Jesus was willing to be born as a baby, God literally stepping into human history, wrapping himself in flesh, living a life that was uh, scorned and mocked and ridiculed. He, he was willing to go to a torturous, brutal death on a cross and uh, to lay his life down, to be buried in a tomb. Why? For the sake of relationship. That's what the whole thing's about. Relationships, as far as the matter meter uh, of stuff in God's perspective, relationships matter a lot. They, they, they rank super high, so high that Jesus is willing to give his life for the sake of relationships. And how do we know that that's true? Well, because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquers sin, he conquers death, and he says, I want you to be with me for all eternity. What an amazing thing. God loves relationships. He's all about relationships. And so too, we need to be a people who are pursuing relationships. And if a relationship is broken, then we need to do what we can to fix it. And uh, and so there's some responsibility for that. There are a few things to do uh, concerning those relationships. And I'll, I'll uh, come back to that thought uh, here in a, a minute and round out the idea of what what do I do? What is wh who's, Whose responsibility is it and what should be done? But now let's go to uh, line one and Tony in Denver with a, uh, a question that he has. Tony, you're on Calvary Live. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I just had a question. I've, I've, in studying this, I've always been kind of confused. Is there any scripture that definitively disassociates um, the second coming from the rapture? Because we always get taught in every church that I've ever gone to that first is going to be the rapture, and then whether it's three and a half years, seven years, whatever may be the case, then comes the Lord. But I've sure. never found anything that's definitive that disassociates the timeline, whether or not they happen seven years apart or whether those events are going to happen at the second coming. 
Sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. As far as a very specific kind of a thing that says, here's the timeline, this, then this, then this, uh, we don't have anything in Scripture that says anything that way. Um, and, and the reason for that is because that's, that's just not how prophecy works in the Bible. Uh, there's really, you know, when you look through prophecy and, and we can look back at Old Testament prophecy and see the way that it was fulfilled uh, in, um, in the New Testament, um, what we see is that it's, it's never laid out that way. There's no, it's not linear the way that we tend to think, think of it. The closest that I can bring you to in terms of, of bringing about something that is, is like that would be to look at First uh, um, Thessalonians and what it says there about the idea of the rapture um, and that idea. But you know, kind of even in, in thinking through this, what we're doing is we're piecing together a theological idea that the Bible teaches. Um, and so we've got to take uh, the, the totality of what the scriptures teach and reach a conclusion. That's really what we're trying to, to do uh, of this idea. That's the way that, you know, really right. any doctrine works when we take the, say, the doctrine of the Trinity. It works the very same way. There's no no verse in the Bible that says this is the Trinity, uh, but we have multiple scriptures that teach very clearly about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's a reason why there's not, you know, uh, God the, uh, you know, whatever else, because you know, right. There's there's no no nothing else that fits with that, and so that's the way that doctrines are developed. Uh, they're developed by taking what the scriptures say, and uh, really, you know, Jesus says in uh, I believe it's Matthew twenty four. He talks about the idea of coming like a thief in the night, um, and unexpectedly, um, and and then when you look into Revelation and the timelines that you're given in terms of like you mentioned three and a half years or seven years, that's a very definitive period of time. And so it's not possible for Jesus to uh, come at an hour when we don't expect and to have a definite period of time. Th those can't go together. So that's the, the major kind of argument that upholds the idea that these are kind of two different things that are taking place. It's impossible for it to be um, in an hour that you don't expect and an exact time that we're given uh, simultaneously. Does that kind of paint some it, of the it picture? Does. It does, with the exception of, and I, and I thought, and I could be wrong, I thought the scripture with the thief in the night, I thought it, it alluded to it, it's, it's kind of fuzzy, that to the unbelievers, we, it'll be as a thief in the night, but to the believer, it will not catch us off guard. Am I, am I wrong in, in remembering it that way? Well, let me uh, turn to it, um, and we can read it together, and we'll, we'll, take it out. we'll take a look at it. So let's see, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 24. Let me turn there. And we'll see what this says and take a look at it. So Matthew 24, I believe it's around verse 40 or so. Um, let me see here. Matthew 24. All right. So, so Jesus says, um, all right. So starting in verse 36, as Jesus is teaching about these these end times here through through Matthew 24, in verse 36 he says, "No one, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also uh, will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark." And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So we will. So will the coming of the Son of Man be? Uh, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, another left. 
uh, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taking the other left. Watch therefore, uh, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But, uh, but know this, that if the master of the house had known that, that what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect." So as we read through that section and just look at the context of what's being stated there, uh, really it, it's it's very clear to say that when Jesus comes, no one's going to know what the what the day or hour is, and some will be taken and others will not be taken. So there is definitely a mix of believers and unbelievers, and people will just sure. be going about their natural daily life stuff, you know, getting married, uh, doing all those kinds of things. And, uh, and Jesus will come at that time. So uh, that section in, in Matthew 24 seems to clearly point to the idea that it's, it's going to be not just unbelievers. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Great question. Well, you're listening to Calvary Live. Uh, my name is Cody King here in studio, taking your calls and questions. We're going to take a break. Uh, I will see you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King, and I'm your host today to take your questions and your prayer requests. Uh, it's great to be able to be with you today on Grace FM as uh, you're listening up and down the front range from uh, Pueblo all the way into Wyoming and uh, some parts of Nebraska. It's uh, right here in the, the metro Denver area. It's an amazing time uh, to be able to spend together. I also want to welcome our listeners on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Also, Truth FM in Tennessee, North Carolina, Kentucky. It's great to be able to spend time with you as well. We love hearing from our listeners over on the East Coast. It's uh, such a, a blessing to be able to hear from you as well. Uh, if you're hearing this broadcast, you're hearing it on a week delay, one week delay. Uh, but we're still here to take your calls and answer your prayer requests and uh, spend some time with you. So please call in. We would love to hear from you. Again, my name is Cody King. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Calvary. Uh, we're located in Commerce City, which is uh, like a suburb uh, in the northeastern part of the metro Denver area. We're off of 104th Avenue, about a mile east of Highway 2. And we've got two Sunday morning services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and I'd love to have you join us. Please consider this a uh, an invitation. I'd love to have you uh, join us at church. Uh, if you want directions or listen to messages or get some more information about the church, you can check out our website. That is redemptioncalvary.org redemptioncalvary.org. Uh, also, you can listen to our radio program uh, right here on Grace FM. That's going to be, it's called Redemption Radio, and it's on weeknights. Uh, that will be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, those weeknights at 8 p.m. Uh, right here on Grace FM, Redemption Radio, and also Sunday mornings at 9.30 in the morning. Hey, go ahead and uh, pick up your phone. Give me a call, 303-690-3000. I'd love to talk to you about questions you may have concerning the Bible or even uh, uh, you know have some time of prayer together. 
Also, you can send in a text message at 720-336-0897. If you happen to try to call that text line, then nobody's going to answer that. It's it's purely for text messages. So uh, so no one's answering the phone. It's just it's just purely for text messages. Seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven is that number, and the the number to call to get in live on the show is three zero three six nine zero three thousand. We were talking about earlier in the show about the idea of First John chapter two verses nine through eleven, and this idea of having this relationship with God that results in relationship with people, and that if my relationship with people, especially other Christians, is broken, then it's reflective of a broken relationship with God. That I, I can't say I love God and also simultaneously hate other Christians. Those thoughts just don't go together. And so as we're considering that thought, like how does this go together? How does that piece all together? And what happens when I find myself in a position where I've got this broken fellowship, this broken relationship with another believer? What do I do? What should I do to fix it? Whose responsibility is it to reach out to the other person? Well, I think first, before you jump into that, you've got to recognize this is a primarily spiritual issue. It's not a practical issue. It's not a mental issue. It's not an emotional issue. No, no matter what your, your situation is, no matter what's going on in the the circumstances surrounding why the relationship is broken, it's not primarily any of those things. Even though it seems like it's those things, even though it feels like it's those things, the truth is that it's primarily spiritual, not practical, not mental, not emotional. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says it like this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, when we don't see the spiritual reality behind the conflicts, we end up fighting the wrong fight. And that's one of the great tactics that the enemy uses against us. We get all spooled up and crazy about the wrong kinds of things. I remember when my wife and I first started uh, serving in uh, the church as a married couple. We'd been married about six months, and we're uh, we're serving in a student ministry, and uh, we would be driving to church, and uh, on our way to church to, to go and serve, uh, we would just be at each other's throats, just fighting like crazy, uh, really angry, uh, really frustrated. And we drive all the way to the church, just just uh, in this argument, in this heated fellowship, if you want to call it that. And as we were we were there driving up to the church, we parked the car. And then we get out of the car and we've got these, you know, we got to put on our, our Christian face, you know, you got to make sure that everyone thinks everything's cool. So you got to pretend. So we put on these smiles and we're walking around and, and doing, doing whatever. And we would do ministry and, it, you know, God would use us and we'd be able to touch people's lives and we'd be able to see his, uh, his eternal uh, purposes being handed down through us and the, the efforts that we had put in. And so uh, it was just this uh, really, really awesome time that we got to do that. And we would come away afterwards saying, why in the world were we fighting or what were we fighting about? And we did this for a number of weeks and uh, even through uh, some, some time, maybe even a couple of months. I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was quite a long time. And then we realized finally that this was probably something that had to do with spiritual warfare. And so when we stopped fighting the issue in terms of, well, you said this and it hurt my feelings and you didn't do this and you didn't consider me. And I think that your motive is to try to manipulate and control me. When we stopped fighting that way 
and we start we stopped fighting with each other and we started fighting with each other if that makes any sense that we started to pray together we started to enter into the battle uh trusting in the things that God's word actually says instead of uh instead of fighting against one another we fought with one another in the real battle. We started started fighting in the spiritual realm uh, through prayer and and uh, relying on God's word together. Then, man, things totally changed. We stopped fighting the wrong fight. We started fighting the right right fight, and things shifted so tremendously. You see, instead of fighting uh, for one another, we be we begin man, being manipulated by uh, the enemy to fight with one another. And, uh, that's a, a terribly terrible thing that we've got to be on guard against. You see what we're told in, uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, is that the one who is sinned against is the one who bears the responsibility. Uh, it says in, let me turn there real quick, Matthew chapter 18, uh, and verse 15, it says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him to his tell him his fault between you and him alone. I think if we could get this thought down, this one idea that I'm going to go to the person who's offended me, if they've sinned against me, I'm going to actually go talk to them. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to go and... and uh, hide under the the guise of trying to seek wise counsel, and really all I'm trying to do is spread gossip. I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go confront them and let them know that that they've harmed me, and I'm going to let them know that. Uh, I'm thoroughly convinced through the the many years of biblical discipleship and uh, counseling that I've done with people uh, that uh, uh, we that this would solve almost all of these problems. Uh, just going directly to that person. Uh, because most of the time they didn't. And when people do obey this, man, it fixes almost every single problem. You see, we've got to be committed to talk to people, not just talk about people. And if you've got an issue with somebody, then it's sinful and wrong for you to talk to anyone else about them. You need to go to them and talk to them. And there may be a time when you need to ask for biblical advice on it if it's necessary, or, you know, uh, how you should do this, that, or the other. But that's very rare. And if it's absolutely necessary, then it's got to be done in such a way that you leave enough of the details out that you don't enter into gossip. Because gossip is an evil that is terribly destructive. It's a sin that hurts people so deeply down to the very essence of who they are. We've got to avoid that at all costs. So if you've been sinned against, you bear the responsibility to go to the person who has sinned against you. But there's another set of responsibility that we'll talk about here in a minute as well. But before we do that, let's go to Diane in uh, Commerce City on line one. Diane, you're on Calvary Live. Hey. Hi. Hi. I, um, I, oh, I don't know. Do I have to? Okay. Um, I, 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 I was over the rope preserver. I just got home, my husband and I, and, um, He's been dealing with, like, um, uh, substance abuse. I'm actually looking for a home church at the moment because, like I said, I've been over the road, but now I'm going back to CCU um, to get finish my degree, and I got a really good job here um, locally, um, a truck driver job. So um, right my thing is that all the time we come back home, um, like, we went to church, uh, what was it, last Sunday, and we got prayed over uh, at Calvary Aurora. Great. But, um the only thing is that it's not really, uh, like, we're looking for something more, um, like, we're, I'm a little bit more, um, I don't know how to explain it, uh, like, uh, I don't know, just kind of quiet. 
So I don't know if that's just the way it is, but I'm, you know, it was just, it was just different. But, but they had guests there that day, so it wasn't, I shouldn't, you know, judge it by that day. But, um, sure. Anyway, um, so we got prayed over, and the, they prophesied over us again, and this happened, this happened, happened throughout our lives. But in 2016, he relapsed, like I said, and now he's doing math, and he goes out. And But the thing is that he comes home emotionally, he, he like, abuses me, and he's just very violent with his words, and... I, I don't want him home no more. He he um I had I didn't this time I didn't hear from him for almost a week and he called me Monday um yesterday and he was like could I come home and I'm like no because my whole thing is that he comes home and he has substance and paraphernalia all the time I find it and I don't want to keep going through this merry-go-round you know with him three years now mm-hmm. and I don't know where I stand in the Bible because I'm 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 tired yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Diane. I, I, my heart definitely goes out to you. This is a very difficult, difficult kind of a situation, um, and I think that you have um, just, you know, really described this and come to understand that this is something that's going to take a little bit more than just a couple of minutes after a service or even, yeah. uh, you know, a minute or two on the radio. Uh, that this is going to be something yeah. that's going to take some some more time to walk through and to deal with because there are so many different layers that are associated with this. And so I just want to encourage you with the idea that um, that uh, the the Lord is definitely with you and He hears your cry, He hears your heart, and He is at work even if you can't see Him at work. You know, do you know what I mean by that? Uh, that God is doing things. And so don't lose heart. Don't give up on what God is able to do. Um, I would encourage you to, um, like you said, you're, you're looking for a church. Uh, you're looking yeah. for a place to be. I think that's going to be a vital part of this yeah. journey is having. Yeah, like, Go ahead. Like, I want someone a little bit more diverse because, you know, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I, I like a word. I like that church, but I'm looking for something like more, a little bit more. But I heard that you also have a church. So I was thinking about visiting this weekend sure. there. Yeah, we'd love to have you um, join us. But um, I'm, I just, not that I'm saying that it's all like, we're, um, I, you could tell by my accent, I'm Mexican. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I've always went to churches where there's, um, the thing is that um, I want to be in a real Bible, you know, teaching, not just, Amen. you know, the hype. You know, the yeah, you that's know, very, very important. Yeah, because what yeah. ends up happening is if you chase an emotional experience, then that's all you're going right. to get. And that doesn't exactly. do anything for anybody. We actually right. need something with substance, and God's Word yeah. is the substance we need. Uh, now, right. that doesn't mean that we don't have an emotional experience with God. It just right. means that that's not what I'm chasing. I'm, I'm chasing the Lord, and the emotion yeah. may come, it may not come, but worshiping yeah. God isn't uh, uh, stuck to the emotion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I believe that. Let me ask you this: Is your is your husband a believer? Has he professed faith in Jesus? He he he's been saved. He's he got baptized in 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 in, in um, Long Beach. Okay. I mean, God has. Um, we used to go to Word Life Christian Center, and uh, we, we. I mean, it's a long long. I mean, God has really pursued us, both of us, and. Um, I'm, you know, there was a time that I even followed him into his addiction. It wasn't that one at that time. It was another one, and now it's it's mess. But I, 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 you know, I, I, I got saved when I was really young, and then I gave my life. I, and then I met him, and then same marriage into our marriage. I'm doing drugs with him. Hmm. I met him at Jesus Saves. I was the um, office manager when I met him. Mm-hmm. So 
I I mean I also you know I um I followed him instead of you know you know following the Lord, but then you know I uh, the Lord you know I, I um I asked the Lord back in my heart and it's been seven years now, but it's like He keeps returning back to His vomit and I don't and I I don't know how long I have to keep waiting you know for Him mm-hmm. to. I, I, I'm at the point where I just want to divorce, honestly. I hate saying that, but... Um, yeah, um, I understand the thought behind that, because it's it's wearisome, it's tiresome. Um, yeah. just, just to address that very, very briefly, very quickly, um, uh-huh. somebody using drugs is not a biblical reason to get a divorce. And so uh, while right. I, I would say, yes, there is some some things that we can do to, to work through that together, uh, right. I, I would definitely, just for not only for your sake, but also for the sake of anybody else listening in, that, yeah, but uh, it's a lifestyle pastor. They, they yeah. it's not only the drugs; it's the women and even unprotected sex. Hmm. I mean, I I know what's up, what's going on in that world. He, he, I mean, it's not like um, you know, I know exactly what hand in hand goes with that lifestyle. Yeah. You know, yeah, and absolutely. That's where I I am. You know, I know what you're saying. No, it's yeah. I really have to seek God in counseling before I, I make a right Absolutely. decision. Absolutely, yeah. And it's easy to to get caught mm-hmm. up in in trying to make a decision in the cool. moment, or you know. Right. Uh, but I I really firmly believe that it, this is something that, that this is why God's has given the church as a gift to us. It's that we don't right. have to go through these things alone. That that He surrounds yeah. us with other people who can walk yeah. through these things with us and carry us through these I'm these issues and pray with us oh, and give us the counsel yeah. we need because really the truth is when you're in the middle of a situation you're sometimes yeah. you are your worst advisor you because you right. can't you you <laughs> yeah. lack perspective you know because you're in the middle of it right. and so right. you need somebody else on the outside who loves Jesus and is going to tell you what his word says and going to pray with you yeah. and hold you to it and keep you yeah. accountable and just all those things together so I just want to encourage you. Uh, Victory Outreach has a uh, like a men's home, you know. Sure. A men's a Victory Outreach. I told them you should go to that program, you know, for at least six months. Okay. You know, give, you know, and, and he's just so stiff-necked. He's like, yeah. no. He doesn't want to. You know, yeah. I don't know. That's the hardest part. If if someone doesn't want to be clean, then you can't want it for them. You know, uh, right. that's the hardest part of it. So. Well, let let me pray with you, uh, Diane, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know if if you uh, show up at Redemption, we'd love to be able to to minister to you. But yeah. I'll just pray that God leads and directs your path. All right, let's pray. Right. Father, we want to lift up to you this whole situation with Diane and and just all of the frustration that she has and the the worry and the uncertainty and the brokenheartedness that she's uh, enduring. And Lord, we know that your word tells us that you you understand all of our weaknesses. You understand all of our our situations that we find ourselves in because you, uh, um, Hebrews 4 tells us, uh, were uh, tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. And as here now, Diane is trying to navigate the sin uh, of her husband, and what does she do with this, and how does this work? I pray that you would guard her heart from sin. I pray that you'd protect her from entering into sin as a result, because so many times, God, the enemy tricks us into thinking that because of someone else's sin, we're justified to participate in some of our own. And Lord, I just pray that you guard her from that, protect her from it. Lord, we want to pray for her husband, that you would deliver him from this uh, evil of uh, of drug abuse, and that you would give him the desire to be clean. God, that you would supernaturally do that work. 
Um, God, we know that you're, you alone can do this. We know that you save. We know that you radically transform, and so we ask you that you would do it. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would lead Diane to a, a good, solid, Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that will honor yeah. you and love her and carry her through this time. Uh, and that she would uh, she would just rejoice in all the things that you can do as she continues yes. to follow you faithfully. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank yeah, you so Diane, it's great to talk to you. Hope to see you Sunday. Okay. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, God bless you. Well, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King here in studio taking your calls and answering your questions. Uh, we're going to go to line two now with Nisa in Denver uh, with a question. Uh, Nisa, are you there? Hello, Nisa. Are you there on uh, line two in Denver? All right. Looks like uh, she dropped the call, but her. I'll, I'll see if I can answer some of her question. Uh, Nisa, if you're uh, out there and you we dropped you, go ahead and call back. Uh, we'll try to get you on the air. Uh, essentially, what we have here is that she's asking the question about uh, Charles Manson and if uh, he could be forgiven and how to explain that to others. Um, here's the the basic way that that I would describe this idea is that what we're talking about is the gospel uh, and the doctrine of grace. Here's the reality. We tend to see people and we look at, at, at people, especially those like Charles Manson, who have gone headlong into pure evil, and we look at them as past the point of no return, that there is no way that you could redeem such a person. And the reality is that every single person is born into that state of complete uh, and uh, abandoned uh, chaos and, and no ability to be redeemed apart from the blood of Jesus. And the truth is that the doctrine of grace is so radical, so crazy, that we have a really hard time believing it. Uh, we have a hard time receiving the truth of what grace is. Here's the, here's the, the reason why. We tend to think in terms of um, earning things and intend, in terms of mercy. If I get anything good in my life, I tend to think of it as something that I earned. Uh, here's an example. If I go to work, I work really, really hard. I put in extra time. I do all that the boss says. I don't ever complain. Uh, I make myself a valuable employee. I get the promotion. And so I deserve the promotion because I earned it. Uh, and, and we tend to take that mentality and bring it into our relationship with God. And when we do that, what we do is we, we sort of uh, inadvertently try to hold God hostage. Hey, God, I was a good boy. I read my Bible today. I prayed. I uh, you know gave some money. Um, and I even let that guy cut me off on the freeway. I deserve something from you. I deserve a blessing from you. And that's just not the way that God operates. That's, that, is, that is not the, the idea of grace. The, the truth is that we deserve, no matter how good we think we are, the thing that we deserve is an eternal, damnable position in hell. That, that's the stark truth. That's the harsh reality. That's what every single one of us deserves. But here's the crazy part of grace. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. You see, grace is the idea of being able to receive the good that I don't deserve. I don't deserve anything good from God, nothing whatsoever. And yet, because of his grace, he gives me what I don't deserve. Jesus, uh, by his blood, adopts me into his family, makes me part of his own, 
cleans up my life, pays for all of my failures, all of my sins, all of the depravity, all of the evil that lurks within my heart. Jesus puts me into a community of other people, other believers. He he uh, causes me to be able to grow in my faith. That like we talked about earlier in the show that that God sanctifies or sets apart or grows us in our faith. That that's what grace is. Grace is not mercy. Mercy is not getting the bad that you deserve. It, it's to to not receive the the bad that you do deserve. It's think about it like this. Here's an analogy. Let's say I'm driving in my car and I decide I don't like traffic uh, laws any longer, and so I'm in a school zone. Uh, the the uh, you know posted speed limit is 15. I decide I feel like I'm going to drive 90 miles an hour, and I'm driving 90 miles an hour, and I end up wrecking my car into the school, and uh, I uh, I even drive over some people as I'm doing that, uh, and the cop shows up. And uh, the cop says, hey, uh, you should go to jail, um, but uh, I'm just going to let you off with a warning. That's, that's mercy, right? It's, it's a terrible cop, but it's mercy, right? I'm not getting what I deserve. Now, the, uh, the, the idea of grace is if the cop was to say, hey, instead of sending you to jail, I'm going to buy you a brand new car, that's grace. He's giving me good that I don't deserve. And this is the crazy thing of God, that God is gracious, that God gives us his grace. Hey, just want to uh, round out this thought uh, that we were talking about at the top of the show, the idea of of relationships with other believers, and what if they're broken relationships, and that the, the truth is that in 1 John chapter 2, that my relationship with other believers is reflective of my relationship with God, and I can't say that I have a good relationship with God and a bad relationship with his kids, that that, that doesn't go together, that those have to be reconciled. Well, we talked about how in Matthew 18, if you are the one who has sinned against, that you bear the responsibility to go and make it right. But also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, we have something else. Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, the responsibility from Jesus' perspective is on both of us. In Matthew 18, it's if you have sinned against someone, uh, excuse me, if they've sinned against uh, Matthew, excuse me, in Matthew 5, it's if you realize that uh, you have something against them, you sinned against your brother. In Matthew 18, it's if they've sinned against you. Both people have the responsibility to go to one another and to make it right. Now, one of the things that I think is really amazing in all of this is, is what Romans chapter 12 says. It tells us that as, as far as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You see, there's some situations and some things where you want to do everything you can in your power to reconcile the relationship, and yet they don't want to participate in that reconciliation. Uh, And so in that case, you can't force them to. Forgiveness only takes one party. You can forgive anybody of anything. That has more to do with your relationship before God than anything else. But restoration of relationship takes both parties. Both people have to be in in and willing to bring that uh, relationship back into restored position. 
Um, so, hey, let's uh, go to Jim in Greeley on line one. Jim, you're on Calvary Live. Hi. Thank you very much, Pastor. Yeah. Um, God, uh, Jesus said uh, when he was being questioned by the uh, Pharisees, uh, he said, have you not read that uh, God is the God of the living, not the dead? And he's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. He says he's the God of the living. Why does he refer to Moses as dead in another verse? And I'm driving, so I can't look it up. I'm sorry. Mm, but in I, another verse, he refers to Moses as being dead. I'd have to let me see if I can find that. I'm not sure what verse you're referencing about Moses being dead. What, what the first verse that you referenced was Matthew 22:32, where Jesus says, "I'm the God of." Abraham, the God of Isaac, and uh, the God, yeah. uh, that's that one. Um, but as far as Jesus referencing, let me see if I can look that it up. It might be in Joshua. It might be Old Testament where Joshua says Moses is dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is uh, Joshua 1, where God says yes. to uh, Joshua, yes. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's what you're referring to? Yeah, I think it's Joshua 1, 1. Yep. Yeah, right in the very beginning. Yeah, so yeah. Um, what I would say to that is to say that that is um, essentially what God is describing to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, is to say uh, Moses is no longer the leader. The mantle is being passed to you. So you have to stop looking to Moses to lead. He is dead. And the truth is that, that he was dead. He, he physically died. Um, but the reality is that even though we physically die— uh, that we don't cease to exist, that our spirit continues on. Um, and so we've only got a minute, so I'm going to try to put this in as fast as I can. Uh, and okay. so when Jesus references in Matthew the idea of being the God of the living, what he's referencing is saying that even though these men have died in the past, they haven't ceased to exist, they are still alive, and that's the hope of eternal life that Jesus gives. Uh, so what he's saying is that those who die in faith have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And so he, what he's calling them to is saying, you guys don't have the kind of faith that your forefathers did to believe in him. That's what he's talking about. Hey, uh, thanks for listening in to Calvary Live today. My name is Cody King. Uh, I'm the uh, lead pastor of uh, Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Uh, I'd love to see you at uh, church on Sunday if you're around town. Check out our website, redemptioncalvary.org. And until next time, God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.